0: Hello everyone and welcome back to another episode of the Coaches Coffee Club podcast which is brought to you by our sponsor Pitch. Pitch is a link, validated LinkedIn start a business which helps players get identified and links players with coaches and scouts it's also an excellent psychological buffer and may have some positive impact on the mental health of young players who could be released from their clubs or academies um, come the end of the season so if you're a player or a coach go and visit pitchrmt.com it's a free service you can set up a profile and link coaches and players and scouts alike so make sure you go and take a look at that in today's episode, we were very, very lucky to spend some time chatting to a World Cup-winning coach, head of specialist coaching, and the lead in-position coach at the FA, working with the England national teams. Mr. Aaron Danks gave up some of his time to talk tactics and formations. We discussed, obviously, the World Cup and how it was to be a part of a World Cup winning side Um, his role as an in-possession coach and what that is we touched on the importance of tactical adaptability ways you can teach your players and your teams Um, and of course we asked him for his all-time England eleven and much, much more so I hope you enjoy it have a listen here it comes the latest episode of the Coaches Coffee Club with Aaron Danks Good morning, Aaron Danks. Thank you for joining us.
1: Hi, Lee. Uh, pleasure to speak to you.
0: Appreciate your, your time. And I know you, you, we've just been chatting off air. You, uh, you are uh, one of the few people who's very busy at this time and like myself. So uh, I appreciate your yeah. time today. But no, uh, we're just going to have a chat, chat a little bit around football and, and tactics and strategies, formations, things like that. But be, before we go that, uh, that, that route, could you... Introduce yourself to listeners quickly around your career and and how you got into coaching and and where you're
1: at now. Yes, sure. So, um, uh, I'm a career coach. So, I've been coaching since I left school. Uh, It's been passion and, um, yeah, it's been my life really. So, uh, I left school, I got off an apprenticeship as a coach at Birmingham City's community program. Um, So, I did a two year apprenticeship where I went to college with the scholars. And then when they went on the training pitch to train, I was a bag of balls uh, going into inner city, inner city schools in Birmingham, putting sessions on. So that got me my my starting coaching really. Um, and it's moved it's moved really really quickly and well really quickly. But over the twenty years, it's progressed lots. lot. Um, so uh, community based work into a little bit of academy work at Birmingham City, um, working uh, part time at a college, doing a bit of. Uh, teaching qualifications, basic teaching quals, and coaching their under-18 youth team. Um, and then moved across to West Brom, uh, where my first role was to set up the video analysis department. And that was really good for me. So um, got to get better at some of my IT skills, some of my coding, some of my analysis while still coaching sitting next to the youth team coach or the reserve team manager and watching games back with them and getting some of their knowledge and detail. So that was really good learning time for me. Um, went on to manage the 12 to 16s program at West Brom for a good few years and then youth team coach at West Brom uh, and then left there nearly four years ago now to join the FA uh, where I started as a in possession specialist coach working in the under 18s. Uh, I only did one camp. We then moved up to the under-20s. Uh, around the same time, was asked to uh, lead the in-possession program, the in-possession strand of the uh, DNA. Uh, so did that, collaborating with all the other coaches on what we thought England teams should look like. Um, under-20s, 19s, 20s on a three-year cycle. And then last uh, January... They asked me to become head of specialist coaching, so oversee the in and the out. And then also the last this season, the first half of this season, um, has meant not being attached solely to one team, but bouncing around all the teams. And so getting across all the teams and, and sharing some work on best practice and uh, and collaborating with the coaches there. So, yeah, it's been a really interesting coaching journey, uh, but definitely coaching is my passion and my, my life, yeah.
0: Oh wow, there's a, a a real breadth of experiences there, like you said, from community, yeah. academy, college, stuff and now with the national teams. How how are you how are you finding it working at the very highest level?
1: Oh, it's amazing. I don't think um don't think I'll ever have a job that I enjoy as much as this one. It's you get to see different parts of the world, you get to work with the best players, um, you get to work with some of the best coaches. Um, you're really lucky because Um, and I think this is getting better in football but you're never seen as a threat so you work with the the national governing body so you're invited into lots of places lots of conversations get to meet lots of people Um, yeah it's been a really fantastic fabulous time Um, yeah so no I love it really really good
0: brilliant one thing I I was really interested to to ask a little bit more about because it's a it's a it's a really unique concept I feel especially in football is around the in and out of possession um yeah. focus how how does that setup up work can you can you explain a little bit about how that works um and sort of I know your role now is overseeing it but when you yeah. were the in possession yeah. lead for a a group or an age group how did you how did you take that role and what, yeah, what did so it sort I, of look like
1: I've been at West Brom for 10 years and, and I saw the roles um I saw the roles come out, and a few people have spoken to me about them, and uh, I, I didn't quite know myself what it meant. I didn't quite know, <laughs> but that was kind of a little bit of the attraction of going right. Come on, then get outside your comfort zone, go and find out what something new is about, and and it's been very much that. So it's been a work in progress, and I don't think we've mastered it and got it perfect. And I think it will still there'll be different iterations of it, and it will change and and, uh, and adapt again. But the the simple concept would be um if you look at first team staff where you've got a head coach and he's got his assistant coaches and his goalkeeping coach, well, all we've tried to do is be really clear with the roles and responsibilities of the, of the assistant coaches. So we have a head coach who runs and leads and manages the program. Um, and then we have his two assistant, uh, outfield coaches will be, their roles will be split to in and out of possession uh, and then the goalkeeping coach as well so we talk of the four the four coaches as a pack so how well do the pack of coaches work together and we talk daily about pack coaching on the grass or isolating units to to do more detailed work um, but it's 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 as it's as simple as that really and then we ask the coaches to be as creative as they as they want to be with it and Um, make sure it gives us a competitive advantage over other nations and make sure we master the minutes and the time that we have on the grass with the players. Um, So you will see lots of attack versus defence exercises. You'll see um, small isolated uh, unit sessions going on. You'll see position-specific warm-ups or individual sessions at the end of training. And it's just us trying to maximise the time, the short amount of time we have with them on camp is to maximise maximise it to the best of our ability, deliver the detail without overwhelming them, um, and create some clear lines of communication as well, so the players know exactly who to go to and, and speak to about different aspects of the game. Yes, yeah, so it's been good.
0: Yeah, do you think do you think, um, think that will become more commonplace in club football going forward?
1: The specific <laughs> in and out of position roles. I think that we're we're seeing a, a bit of a data explosion in football so we're now measuring more than ever and we're now getting more feedback than ever um there's some brilliant blogs and uh, vloggers and people out there that are sharing content sharing detail um and that can be overwhelming for the coach it can be overwhelming for the players most importantly um so i think we're starting to see a little bit of a tilt towards it so uh, Liverpool with a throwing coach, mm. uh, Manchester City this season recruiting the set players coach. I think teams are starting to recognise there's some actually some small moments in the game that they might want to isolate and they might want to get into detail with. Um, interesting thing for me was to go around, I, I looked at lots of other sports to look at coaching as a comparison, not necessarily the sport as a comparison, but coaching as a comparison. And lots of other sports, would, would this would be commonplace to have either position-specific coaches or attack and defense coaches. Um, American football, for example, was like the constraints on how long they can practice for, what they can actually do in terms of hitting, tackling, padded work, was really, really minimal. So the only way they can teach the amount of detail they have to teach is through individuals' specific work. So, I think every coach no matter what league you're in no matter whether it's grassroots senior you're always always the old adage of we haven't got enough time We've, we want more time we, we need we needed more time to get this work some work into them i think that's where like the specialization piece can come in um but it's 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 not necessarily the easiest way of working um you need really skillful and really good leadership then from the head coach to manage to manage the timings to manage the input to to recognise who's doing what um, and making sure it's having the relevant impact for the players
0: ah, Brilliant You um, you While we're on the subject of, of the national yeah. teams you've been very humble and not, not mentioned it yet but I have to ask around the World Cup <laughs> the Under-20 yeah. World Cup and and what an experience that must have been and, and was your role in that predominantly as you've just said around the in-possession
1: yeah. work yeah, so, you, how,
0: what, an, what, an, what an achievement mate how do you find that
1: yeah, it was an amazing experience. I think when we were out there, we kind of, we didn't, we didn't quite grasp the magnitude of it. And we genu- genuinely, like, we have gold trees and stuff, and we went there and the players spoke about we wanted to win it, and and we did. But we went game to game, so we, we went out there and um, we hadn't won a under-20s World Cup game for a long, long time. and. Um went guy at the group stage for a long long time. So we just broke it down game by game. So we played Argentina opening game. Um it was a funny period that was just just at the crossover at the end of the Premier League season. We had one or two lads that were still in Premier League first teams and um Bournemouth were great to release Lewis Cook and let him come away with us. Everton, fantastic. They were playing a lot of their players in the first team at that spell, but they um I'm sure it was Koeman at the time, released them to come away with us. So we managed to get a really good squad together. Played Argentina first game. We didn't play great, to be honest. We won 3-0. We were terrific in both boxes. They probably controlled the game, but we were really, really ruthless in both areas. Won 3-0. And then from that moment on, everyone just went, wow, like, this is real now. Look, come on, let's see what we can do. And I think we, we our performances improved every game. Uh, to the semi-finals, we beat Italy in the semi-final, which was a, a massive game uh, for us and, uh, tactically and emotionally, and everything was was wonderful. And then you're on to the World Cup finals. We were playing Venezuela in the World Cup final, who we were a um, really exciting, young, talented side. Um, their senior team manager had dropped down to take the team for the World Cup. They would five players in there that were playing in their seniors at the time, so they, they had some really exciting... A young talent and the occasion was just massive absolutely um humongous for for the players and for us um and we didn't play great on the day so we rode our lot we won one a lot So that freddie woodman saved the penalty in the second half they probably deserved something out of the game in all fairness but we found a way to win and that was something the group had uh, really really about them um but in terms of like the experience and the occasion, I remember catching myself after 10 minutes of the game, almost glazed over, like, this is passing me by as a coach. It was passing <laughs> me by. Like, I had to get up, walk to the touchline, have a sip of water, say something to their coach, sit down and start making some notes. And then I would back into it. Um, and there were some nice moments with the players during and, and after the well, obviously loads after but during the game as well where there was some tactical things going on that you think i found a different solution here to, for us to play out to build they put a good press on us but there was a pocket of space on the right hand touch line that I actually felt our full back was occupying somebody our winger was occupying somebody our centre back was occupying somebody it might be in a midfield player that pulled there and got it but I went in at half time and like had a conversation with the goalkeeper I could just tell the the, the moment he was like we're 1-0 up I don't want to take risks. So I'm like, as a coach, going, well, I've got a solution. Do I force it on him? Do I? So I kind of empowered him a little bit to say, come on, then what do you want to do? And he spoke about where this little move where we played with a nine and ten, um, Dom Solanke and Dom Calvert-Lewin. So both were big, strong, uh, physical players. And then we had Adi mola on the left wing. So we'd swap one of them with Adi. So Adi would come in as the ten on goal kicks. One of them would go on the touchline and we'd go against the fullback um so we did like that's what freddie said he wanted to do so we did that in the second half we got no control in the game so it still kept coming back on us whether it was the right decision or not um but it was a yeah unbelievable experience coming home and then celebrating and uh, luckily we flew back into birmingham airport so the wife and kids could meet me at the airport and share some photographs with them with the trophy that like those little moments were were brilliant like so yeah great experience both professionally tactically and then emotionally and experience wise as well yeah
0: that no, great, great story. That I appreciate you sharing that. Let, let's let's use that then to to head into our topic around yeah. some some formation and, and tactical stuff. And and I guess maybe two parts of this. So the first bit we'll will maybe look at the more performance end or the end that that you're working in with a national team. And yeah. um, if we if we talk about the World Cup, um, in the build up to games, how how much emphasis um, did you put on the opponent when preparing for a game or or did was it mainly around? This is how we're going to play. This is our uh, DNA and our style, and, and these are the, the ways that we may be able to alter it to to accommodate whatever throws up. Like you mentioned, the goalkeeper there, and um, do you do you go? No, we're going to stick to our guns, and this is how we yeah. play. Or do you do a lot of prep on the opponents?
1: Yeah, so we we did a lot of a lot of opposition analysis going into it. So for the group stage. Um, we played Argentina, Guinea and South Korea and the preparation that we put into that was like really, really big to the extent of taking the team the November before we went out to South Korea to play a mini tournament against them, Iran and Nigeria. Um, so in November we flying Premier League football players and first team football players halfway around the world to a different time zone for seven days to play three games. It was like bunkers but... The um the experience that gave us of of the time zones, of the food, of the culture of the opponents was invaluable. Um and then in terms of like tactical opposition analysis, we've still got some documents now where we've got like um think we've got like a 40, 50 page opposition document on Argentina for that opening game, slightly less for Guinea, but the similar size again then for South Korea from everything from their manager's history, where he's worked, who he's worked with, um, the player profiles, the clubs, their game time, what they've been doing, then the tactics formations they've used. And We would look at back at their last probably six to eight games, um, but we'd look back at each game through almost four different lenses. So I would look at how they defend for how we need to attack. The defence coach would look at how they attack for how we need to defend. The head coach would look for game trends, game management, overviews. The goalkeeping coach would look at the uh, position goalkeepers and set plays um, and then we'd get together and we'd have technical coaching meetings before we've got out to the World Cup to, to share all that detail and information. Um, but what was really interesting was as we moved through the tournament, just the nature of a tournament was you then go through to the round of 16 quarterfinal, semifinals, you've got like two, three, two or three day turnarounds. You've got very little on the opponent. Um, you'll have their games at the tournament and we'll, we'll be working late nights and we'll be looking back at some stuff, but nowhere near to the extent that we had for the group stage. So actually for the back end of the tournament where it really matters and where it gets really critical, it was it had to become a lot more about us. And I think the players, the players, really brought into that they're really brought into come on this is what we're about this is what we stand for these are our principles these are our tactics this is what we that what we're trying to do and that that took on much more of an emphasis at the back end of the competition um so yeah so it filtered as we went through but talking a bit more globally in terms of the pathway in all england teams we tried to make it about us us as much as possible um so our Under-15s will almost be a 100% rule about inducting them into the England DNA. This is what we're about. 16s, very, very similar, maybe a 90-10 rule, almost like 90% about us, maybe 10% a little bit talking about the nations you come up against culturally what they might be like, not necessarily tactical. Um, And then 17s is our first competition year, so you would introduce a little bit more of the opposition analysis stuff. Um, a bit more of it at 19s in, in tournaments, a bit more of it at 20s and obviously 21s. But we'd still probably, with all our sides, ideally, and this is plucking numbers out of the air, but ideally we'd like to think that we'd work on like a 70-30 split, so 70% about us, 30% on the opponent. Um, yeah, and then what that means.
0: Okay. No, I like that. Excellent. What, what about then... Um during those games you as a coach or I know your role is slightly different but what are the things that you're looking for when you're on the touchline? are there some key things that you'll go through I know you said for 10 minutes in in that yeah uh, World Cup final you were, yeah. you were just trying to, job. trying to get back to back to normality okay. but yeah what are the sort of things that you or what, what should coaches be be aware of or looking for on the touch line
1: in the game yeah I think I think at that, uh, like the, the high-performance tactical end, you you would be looking at things like, we used to have a set of simple questions, really. I've been in one of my notebooks somewhere. Um, let's see if I can get them out of my head. So um, what's the opponent's shape? Uh, what, what system are they playing tactically? Is that what you expected or have they done something different? So what's their shape? Um, as an in-possession coach, I'd look at where would where are they looking to press the ball? Uh, so are they pressing high early are they dropping off setting traps are they letting one player have it more than others uh, so what's their shape where do they press the ball do they defend a high or low line uh, so is, what's their back line like what space is that affording us um, there'll be something then about where is the space or where's the space to go and exploit um, so I'd have almost have like three or four key questions that I'd be asking myself in my head early on in the game just to check back against the game plan Um, and then I can be relaying that back to the head coach so that would kind of be my role I know the head coach will be doing something similar himself and the out of possession coach will be doing something very similar and at different levels that might be one person doing all of that for themselves but I'd have some key questions Um, yeah are are they tactically what we thought they would be are they defending a high or low line and then um where they're pressing us, where's the space for us to exploit? So there might be that space might be in front of their midfield, it might be in behind their midfield. That space might be out wide. We just have a little saying to the players about take the take the space they give you. So if they if they're really narrow and compact and the spaces on the outside, let's take that space and use it. Um, if there's gaps between the lines when you play against South American teams, this has been a bit of a trend that I've noticed. Their front five or front six will be really aggressive to press and get after you, but then their back line will be really conscious of the space in behind. So where we would teach a lot about pressing and everyone go together, stay together, they're happy for their back line to actually detach themselves. So we then find there's lots of space in between the lines. Um, And then it's their defenders that come come rushing out uh, to get you. Um, I know Mexico is not South Africa. It's somewhere in between like uh, South America, sorry. Uh, Somewhere in between in Central America. But when we played Mexico in the World Cup quarters we win the game 1-0 and Lewis Cook plays a pass um, which watching it on the touch lines like oh my god what a pass that is it's taken out like two lines it's taken out their midfield and their defensive line has got slank in behind and he's scored when I watched it back I admired the pass and the goal I watched it back again I admired the way of have passed it wasn't until the third or fourth time that I watched it you notice that uh, the ball goes into Dom Solanke in the ten position and one of their centre-backs comes out. Dom lays it off into midfield and their centre-back goes again after the ball. And Lewis, all Lewis does, he doesn't take eight players out of the game. He takes one player out of the game and it's that centre-back who's come out of his hole and he finds the pass, threads it through the lines and uh, we get in and score off it. And we'd actually done some, some little small exercises on that when we were due to play Argentina. So we did like a... 2v2 on the edge of the box with two servers so two servers are playing the ball square two centre-backs against two centre-forwards and we asked the centre-backs to man-mark so it was almost like I'm going to pull you out to get my mate in and uh, little little crossovers little rotations so it was like man-marking around the air, edge of the area because this was quite a different tactical concept for, for our attackers we didn't see the benefits of it until later in the tournament but um, yeah it was definitely worthwhile So so. On that, this
0: was a question that came in from, from Simon Clark on how important is it for the team to have prepared and practiced the, uh, some kind of tactical flexibility before the game? Is that is that an instance there whereby the, the style of play or recognising, like you said there, the spaces they give you, they, they have done something to, to know how to cope or exploit that in the yeah, week I think- up?
1: I think this, this tactical adaptability piece is, is, is big. is really, really big. Um, it's... Um, how can I best explain it? So, I, I like to think of tactics almost now as solutions. So, you have formations, but then you have in-game solutions, and that would be my tactical move. So, if a team presses us with two, so they go 4-4-2, four, four, they're, they're going to put two players on a, our... On a, back line to press us, we would have a strategy of centre-back splitting, goalkeeper staying on the ball, one midfield player coming in as a pivot, that diamond beats the two. So that diamond of the goalkeeper, two centre-backs and a pivot beat the two. Um, if they came with three, we would then try and use a difficult, a different tactical concept of beating the three and it might be um, a double pivot in the middle of the pitch and a one-pivot comes in early and obvious. The second pivot comes in late and disguised. And now our double pivot controls the middle, the centre of the pitch. Um, So we would have different solutions for different problems the opposition us. And I think the key thing for us all to recognise is that's going to change. The game goes on at the highest level. That's going to change. There's no way, if we put a game plan in place to play against Croatia, we get on top of the game, um, we dominate the game, there's no way Croatia are going to stick to what they're doing. They're too good for that now. These nations are too good. They'll, they will change. They will adapt. They'll do something different. And then your solutions to that problem have to be different again. Um, another little example I'd, I like to use with the, with the attacking players in the final third of the pitch. As I think there's almost some moments of truth that you see in games. So a moment of truth for me would be the ball goes wide for us in possession. So we play the ball out to the touchline, who goes and puts pressure on that ball. If it's their fullback that goes to put pressure on the ball, there's now a gap opened up between centre-back and fullback. And we can use that space for what we call a corner run. So somebody running into that space, running into that gap, might be a midfield player, might be a centre-forward, might be a fullback that's receiving out. And it's a winger that's running in there. Or when we play the ball wide, it's their winger that tracks back to try and do that. And their fullback stays narrow. And then you start getting teams falling back into like a back five or a back six or even a back seven shape sometimes. So that now affords us a, a different area of space. And it might be in the, the half spaces or the, in the inside lanes, inside channels in front of them where we can then use those pockets of space to hurt them. So we would look for, um, and this is where we use the attack versus defense coaches a lot off camp, would be to, to, to role-play some of these scenarios, to role-play like, okay, this is how we're playing today. What are you going to do to stop us? You do that. Okay, we're going to adapt to this. Now, what are you going to do and they adapt. So it's that game of, constant, that game of chess, of working out what they're doing and then having the solutions to it. So um, that's a really long-winded answer, but I think it's really important that we build that into our training program so our training programme is going to need to have its moments of the, the coaches being explicit and telling them this is our game plan, this is what we're looking to do. But it all also needs those implicit teaching moments of actually let's just manipulate the defenders here for a, for a period um, and see if the attackers can work out what space that's now affording them, what space that's now giving them so we might be man-marking full So for the next eight minutes... I'm only telling two players on the pitch that something's different. happening. I'm telling the two fullbacks. I want you for the next two minutes to man-mark the wingers wherever they go. Just go with them. And now it's for the rest of the team to work out what's going on here. What's what's this tactical tactical shift, tactical change, and where's the space for us to, to go and exploit? So I think it's yeah, something we can we need to be really clever and deliberate about building into our training programs.
0: No, I agree. I was going to ask, and you started to touch on it there. And how would you teach that? Is that through, like you said, the explicit or the implicit yeah. ways? But is is that usually in? Now I know you you're probably granted with with more space and time in numbers. But would you do that through the eleven v eleven, or do you tend to work smaller group work, or what are your preferred methods to try and teach some of that tactical adaptability?
1: Yeah, oh, all of the all of the above, and and on and off the grass as well. So, uh, international football, unique environment but we get the players for 10 days and we, and we live together for 10 days. So we are uh, waking up, having breakfast together, uh, meeting, t- meeting each other at half nine, 10 o'clock on the night for snacks. I've been on toast and talking about Love Island. So we have all those, <laughs> uh, all that time with them, so we do. We would. We would talk a lot about the other twenty-two hours. So if you've got two hours on the grass, what the other twenty-two hours look like? So rest, recovery, nutrition, um, and but then little workshops. Little might be one-to-ones, units, team meetings, um, little tactical workshops. We we do a lot of work on the sabutio boards. Okay. Um, the reason we use the sabutio boards is it's a bit more interactive. So get six or seven players around a sabutio board, set a tactical scenario, and then. What they like interacting with the players, so they'll pick the players up. And because it's a spoolio player, and not a magnet. I know there are some better magnets out there now, uh, but they can start adjusting body shapes and and moving people around. And it's flat; it's on the floor. You can look each other in the eye. You can have some really good conversations. Um, so that's been some good stuff. And then in terms of on the grass, um, yeah, we'd we'd teach it in eleven v elevens most definitely. But then we'd also break the game down into into other moments. So. That fullback scenario, for example, I might just have a back four against a front six. I, I like to do a practice um, the day before a game where I set up three 18-yard boxes. Uh, I've got four mini-goals for the defenders to, to play into. And the attackers are attacking the, the, the main goal. So we've got a main goal with a goalkeeper in. I mark out an 18-yard box, another 18-yard box on top of that, and a, f- a third 18-yard box on top of that. Put the target goal so you're in around the halfway line to begin with, and then put the back four def- in the in the furthest 18-yard box from the goal. This is hard to explain talking. To now. <laughs> <laughs> so basically, I've now got six attackers against four defenders, but we've got 36 yards of spacing behind the defenders. So the game solutions are pretty simple, pretty pretty clear that I might put a condition of three or four passes and then you're looking to get a runner in behind, a ball in behind. Defenders defend. If they win it and they've got the target goals to go into um, the attackers are, t- are going to try and break them down. I might do four minutes of that and then I'll just drop it down a zone. So I'll move the four target goals up, put the back four on the edge of the 18-yard box. So now they've got 18 yards of spacing behind them and your solutions now might have to be for a clever and more weighted pass or a combination to get in or I might shoot from outside the area. Um, and then the final block, I'll put everybody inside the 18-yard box. So we've now got four defenders almost emergency defending in front of the goal, five or six attackers against them inside the area. So we're really tight spaces. And now we're working on clever finishes, quick, clever combos, composure. So basically all I've done there in, if we did four minutes in each zone. In 12 minutes, I've given three different tactical scenarios, high line, middle line, low line, um, lots of different game solutions for them to work out how we're going to get in, what's the, what's the differences. And all I'm doing as a coach is so I'm just, facilitating time and space I'm just manipulating uh, the, the constraints of the areas um, and then giving the players a solution so it doesn't always have to be 11-11 you can be really creative about the work we do with smaller groups as well I'm sorry what, that was a back four against front six do you play there? Front six or front five I've done it differently in different different ways uh, so just, I'm just, just filling um, out my PMA as you as you say that I'm just putting <laughs> <hole> it on there <laughs> well, maybe, maybe I could send you an image or something afterwards and you can put it on like a link to the, to the yeah uh, brilliant
0: No, that's. Re- but that's podcast. that's that's the way of I guess your, your implicit stuff where you're restricting the defenders to do a, a specific yeah. role so this one yeah. this first four minutes you're going to play a really high line Yeah. last four minutes it's just sit in front of the goal that's great yeah. insight thank you for that should we um because I'm conscious we just keep chatting and chatting and chatting about about elite, um, the, the top level, and I'm I'm conscious some of the, a lot of the listeners work in the grassroots game. So, a yeah. couple yeah. of questions on that. I guess here's one. Before we go on to that, what is your favourite formation
1: to coach and why? Yeah, good question. Uh, I'm not sitting on the fence here, but I wouldn't have one. <laughs> so my my formations were be really, really player dependent. Um, so I think if you've got two really good centre forwards and you want to get two really good centre forwards into the team, then then do it that way. And if you've got three really good centre backs and it, like the seniors seniors went out to the World Cup and identified, do you know, what? we've got a couple of really really good wing backs here and we've got three centre backs that can really secure us up in the middle of the pitch. Um, and they went with a back five. I think that's I think that's healthy as a coach. Uh, I think it's better for the players to be almost. Uh, specific on their individual needs um, what I do like personally and this would be my personal takes on it would be I like adaptable systems so I think a formation is almost a uh, blank canvas a, uh, a piece of paper a start of the game um, sometimes they're more important out of possession so sometimes your four four two is really important out of possession to get compactness to get uh, discipline and, and structure and organisation um, sometimes they're really important in possession as well. So sometimes you can put uh, a positional possession team. You can really see their shape that they're trying to build. Um, what I, I would like my my teams in possession in particular to know, understand the key areas of the pitch that we're trying to get into and the players that we're trying to get into those positions. So it's almost like hotspots. So if we had a hotspot, um, in in let's say in between in front of the back four, but in between the fullback and centre half, so almost like a half space. So if that was our hot spot in the game, we knew we wanted to get players in that in that position. I would I would be happy with my team being flexible about who that was. So if it was my winger coming in to fill that position, my fullback goes high on the outside, and my midfield player comes deeper. If it's my midfield player that goes and gets in that position, the winger stays wide and the fullback sports behind. I think we've got a real good level of understanding for the team then, and a bit of tactical flexibility in there as well, um, where they can adapt and find different ways and keep the opposition guessing.
0: Okay, so the, the formation you're saying, is is that's just the start point, isn't it? And like you said, it's more around the concepts or the principles that you want your team to, to carry out. Yeah,
1: I've, uh, tactics are important and solutions are important, and I think... Uh, it's, it's part of the game that we've got to teach we've got to teach well I, I would I would over teach principles and underteach tactics so if your principle is, is width um, width length and depth over teach that and that's from a young age that's grassroots that's about spreading out um, making the pitch big um, and then if out of possession your principle is compactness then brilliant let's let's condense the space let's get together let's get small let's get tight so i over the principles underteach the tactics because the tactics then um, i think once they've got a really good understanding of the principles the tactics then are just a layer of detail that you're giving them the framework that you're giving them to go and perform from
0: okay and do you think there's any specific formations that might lend themselves to to help develop that um if there's say there's some grassroots coaches going into the 11v11 game um again i know we've spoke around the formation is is probably not the Uh, most important thing but do any lend to that for a a coach who might want to get those basic principles in better than
1: others okay so um where i'm currently at like at the moment is I quite like the framework of a 4-3-3 with a, a single-holder midfield player because I think you can do a couple of different variations of that. So it might be this game we're going to play with a false nine who drops in. Wingers go high and narrow and we almost become like a diamond in possession. The next game I might drop my holding midfield player, my pivot into my back line. Um, my two eights come a bit more central and deeper and we almost look like a back... Th- 3-4-3 uh, three, three. Um, so I quite like that at the moment but if I'll go back probably 10 years now, one of my first roles at West Brom was to, to coach the under 12s which is their intro year into 11-a-side football and we played uh, 4-4-2 with them so at 12s-13s this has changed now uh, but at 12-13s we used to do um, 4-4-2 and then at fourteen to fifteen, we started introducing a bit of four-three-three, and the reason being was um, real good leadership from the top, and this was something that I was taught as a coach it was just like the fundamentals that that system can teach us. So the fundamentals of a four-four-two, we never ever looked like a straight line four-four-two in possession. So we would teach our two central midfield players to play on different lines, and we would break that down into two v two exercises. Um, almost like a north-south game. So you have a target player at one end, target player at the other end, 2v2 two two in the middle. And the, the, the work is the two central midfield players getting on different lines. So if I come short on the left, you go high on the right. If I swap over and go short on the right, you've got to swap over and go high on the left. Um, we would never caught on the same line. So we would teach that. And then we'd do the same with our nines and tens, higher ups, always on different lines. So if you if you paused one of our games, you'd, you'd see a 10 coming off. You'd see... An eight on a different line, a four dropping in to get it. You'd see almost see a triangle in midfield. You'd see a nine high and threatening runs in behind. When we talked to our wingers and fullbacks about playing on different lines, so one inside, one outside. So, you, I think it was a although it was it seems a really simple concept of four four two. It was tactically a really good tool to teach the players about movement, about overloads, about awareness, um, and then about the technical. Competencies they needed with, within it. Oh,
0: brilliant. That's a great insight. I, um, I think a lot of coaches will, will take from that the fact that it is like I that twelve age group. It's not a, it's not an old school way of working with the players. It's a really good way to, like you said, get them working pairs. Essentially, isn't it? Yeah. Yeah. Definitely. Um, do Do you think then, speaking of positions, do you think players should early specialize in positions, or, or do you think they should? Play a variety um, at the
1: younger ages. No, definitely play a variety. Yeah, I think that's my my young boy plays grassroots football now, so I get to watch quite a bit of it. I think that's really important that they do get that um, variety and uh, understanding of different different positions. And I think ultimately their personality, maybe their physical attributes, will 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 tell. Will. Will guide them to a position at some point. So, personality-wise, if somebody's like really, really ruthless and clinical and just keeps scoring goals, they're going to end up gravitating to the top end of the picture. It might be there. Uh, they've got that, and they're really quick. They might become a wide player. Um, they're actually got really good controlled aggression, and they're, they're an excellent tackler. They might end up playing in a, in, a, in deeper positions or a defensive positions. So, I think give them that. Give them the give them the spectrum. Open it up to them um i like i like the idea of teaching when you're teaching your grassroots football almost teaching just like re- very simple concepts and very simple shapes so it might be um, five we're playing five a side let's defend with a box and attack with a diamond and i think the players get that really really quickly simple easy messages from them. so if we're defending with a box right we're going to need two two defenders here two attackers um, and let's make that box really nice and tight and compact. And then when we attack, let's flip it into a diamond. So one of you stays back and keeps us secure. Two of you go wide, give us width. One of you go high, give us height. And just a little, nice little simple concept for five-a-side football. But then just keep rotating around who's playing, who's playing where in the box, who's playing where in the diamond, especially with our youngest players. Um, yeah, I think that's important.
0: No, oh, I like that. Thank you. Do you you have any um, any opinions on sort of a style of play for for developmental levels or for the young ones?
1: Yeah, I think I think we've um, I think this country now we've we've recognised um, we've recognised the importance of trusting our players technically a little bit more. So. I think game style has changed in the country um, for the better across grassroots and academy environments. I still think there's there's going to be outliers and there's going to be different different teams doing things slightly differently. And what I'm not talking about is I'm not talking about like every academy needs to play one formation or every academy needs to play one set way. Or, but I think there's definitely an emphasis now on trusting our young players, and uh, um, Pete Sturgis does some unbelievable work. Around the um, youth development phase, around around skillful players, brave players in the England DNA, and I think that's had a massive impact to the extent where now at our level, at the highest level, we can take our English English young English players anywhere around the world and be confident to go toe to toe with any nations. Be brave enough to say, "Come on, then it's 70 percent about awesome what we do and what we're about so we've we've produced some really exciting young technically gifted players so yeah I think the emphasis on on skill and staying on the ball being brave uh playing through the thirds at the right moments recognizing moments when you might miss out thirds is part of decision making definitely but um being brave and and having the ball and being dominant with the ball I think we we're much better at that now with with our young players
0: yeah, that's that, like you say. That's becoming ever more evident in our young national teams, and even the yeah. senior men's team. It, it, looking at the the latest performances, um, again, this could go on a whole new podcast. This one, but but what, where do you see the future game going from a tactical point of view? And I guess secondly, to that, what should the coaches be preparing their young players for in the future? I know it's Crystal Ball would help, but what from your experience yes. do you think's coming?
1: Yeah, I think football is always going to be football, and there's cycles of football, isn't there? So we see like trends and and things come around uh, where like back fives were, or 3 5 2 was really pertinent um, 15, 20 years ago, and then it drifted out the game, and 4 2 3 1 became a big thing, and then it's gone again and it's came back in. I think it would just become way more adaptable. So I think it won't be necessarily one fixed. System formation; it will be a, a real adaptable uh, and interchangeable ones. I think the athleticism of the game um, will continue to be um, continue to push the boundaries on physical performance, but ultimately it will be the the technical the technical competencies, the decision making, almost like the human stuff. So the future game for me looks. Um, I've been fortunate recently to listen to a couple of different coaches in different sports, but also um, listen to the, I went to, we're supposed to attend the Lego conference that got canceled. So we did, they did a virtual online version of it and it spoke about the human in the, in the modern digital era, the human ability to be creative um, is, is, is almost like the winning move. So I think the creative teams will continue to come to the forefront and teaching, creativity on an individual level but on a team tactical level as well will be will be really intrigued to see where the game goes with that okay
0: so then how about the future coach if that's where the game's going where where do the where do we as coaches need to go to be able to to be effective in that
1: yeah um i try and keep this one simple and memorable so um i use this a little bit Thinking in the last twelve months about recruiting coaches, but then also developing coaches that we've got within our in our system. So um, three things: know the game, teach the game, beat the game. So knowledge of the game, so that, that deep deep understanding of the game, tactically what's going on, um, knowing your players, building relationships with your players, and so knowing knowing the opponents, knowing culturally what's different, uh, understanding. Um, phases of the season, all that kind of work. So game knowledge and credibility is going to be really important. So con- continue to be students of the game, continue to be studious. Teaching the game is is the next one for me, and this is kind of like the future of coaching. So how well do we teach the game? How well do we understand learning? How well do we understand um, what actual teaching looks like? Is it is it always control-based explicit command style um, where's the where's the room for guided discovery how do you get that right in your program how do we develop self organisers, ind- independent decision makers um, and so how we teach the game both on and off the grass I think is the future of coaching I think there's loads we can do in that area um, and then the last one about beat the game so this is the like the, the creative innovative bit so come on in. Ultimately, the future is in our hands. So when you talk about what's, what do you think the future tactics look like or what does the future game look like, well, that's in our hands. That's for us to to dictate. And there was a great quote yesterday from um, Steve Borthwick at uh, England Rugby about knowledge is cheap and it travels fast. So uh, there'll be a new tactical trend but well, everybody will catch on to it really, really quickly. And that will move, that will spread fast across around the world. Everybody watches everybody now, everybody studies everybody. So if you want to beat the game, you've got to keep being progressive, keep pushing the boundaries, keep pushing forward. So, yeah, so I, I, I speak in a lot to our coaches and and any coach I speak to really about those three areas of how well do we know the game, how well do we teach the game and how well will we, will we beat the game moving forward.
0: No, I've got, I'm, I'm just scribbling down some notes frantically here. Thank you, mate. I appreciate that. I'm conscious <laughs> of your time as well, so um, let's start to wrap it up. Um, one question I uh, ask all the, the, the guests who were kind enough to give us their time. Um, who would you recommend us getting on the show in the future?
1: Oh, good question. Um, Tim Dittmer from the goalkeeping world at the FA. Um, doing some really, really good stuff in terms of the goalkeeping um, in terms of practice design for goalkeepers, the future goal, future future goal, um, future England goalkeeper. So yeah, he'd definitely definitely be one to recommend. Okay,
0: brilliantly. Um, David Scott asked the question actually around goalkeepers. He said, "How much has your role developed in recent years with regards to the goalkeeper playing a key tactical role for teams
1: in possession?" Yeah, yeah, huge. So. I think we were, um, again, some of Tim's work really kind of evaluating that almost 70 to 80% of their touches come with their feet, Um, how much an important role in the game that is, how that can give us an advantage in possession, so actually treating them as an outfield player. Um, I actually thought the game would have moved, moved further really in the last 10 years. So if you look at what Manuel Nair was doing, Probably in the last ten years or ten years ago, his start positions, how high he was playing, um, how much he was getting involved in some of the build-up play. Um, I thought the game may have gone there. It probably hasn't as much as I thought, um, but I think the role of the goalkeeper is really important in terms of um, being an extra outfield player, but being a decision maker, being almost being a, it can almost be a cultural architect for us. you can almost define our style and get us going and yeah. not, I'm not talking about goal kicks all the time being so important but just in general is uh our, our first line of build up and, and the same for the attacking players deliver under the pitch they can be our cultural architects out of possession so if they drop deep and compact then that we know as a team that's what we're about, but if they're press high and aggressive then they're kind of setting the tone for us. How um how did the rule change with goal kicks
0: affect Again, I'm sorry if I'm taking up loads of time. It's just interested to see how, I how did that change your role and, and the sort of style and the way that you're working with the teams.
1: Yeah, uh, so it's something that we've been something we've been looking at for um, a good few years. So it was first tried at the 2017 Under 18s World Cup. Um, so we, we kind of knew of it around then, and we'd done some bits. and so then when it finally got confirmed and finalised we were lucky enough to get hold of loads of Brazilian league football. So they'd been doing it for the last three months in the Brazil league. So we've downloaded loads of clips and looked at their goalkeeper. So I one night looked at, um, I think I looked at a goalkeeper's last 150 distributions or something. It's really wow. geeky. And, <laughs> uh, but just to, just to see what was out there and what was doing. So I think what it's, what it's done is, um, we probably thought there was going to be more more structured solutions based on it, but actually, what's happened is the games become much more unstructured. So there's been quicker goal kicks taken, quicker returns to field, hand on play, and we are just back into back into the game model really less less organised setup. We're going to try and pressure like this. You're going to try and build like that. It's been a little bit more unstructured than we thought, um, but we've definitely we've definitely used it and we've definitely altered our practice designed to get goalkeepers involved more in live decision making because what happens what tends to happen now is the goalkeeper will spot it roll it yard to a center back he'll get pressed it'll go back to the goalkeeper now we're asking goalkeepers to make decisions live with the ball at their feet and i think that's a really important skill that we've got to make sure we keep um we keep developing that and the goalkeepers do some great work Um, position specific on it but it's important that then you get the attackers pressing them you get the the defenders supporting and the midfield players dropping in and and you're asking them the decisions all the time of where's the space and where can you move the ball to
0: yeah oh excellent okay so last one then before we do our quick fire Um, yes where or how if there's any coaches listening to this that want to learn more about specific tactics what advice would you give them Um, to increase their knowledge or or go and learn more about specific
1: formations tactics principles etc yeah good question I think um, I'm actually at the moment drowning in content and it's unbelievably (laughs) brilliant there's so many people out there at the moment that have gone wow this is a bit different like we're we're in isolation we're working from home and there's been so many podcasts blogs and uh, pieces of detail out there so I I just say um, Twitter's brilliant for it like I love Twitter for for sharing knowledge and content and detail. I probably don't share as much as I should do. A bit of a voyeur, really. I just look more, <laughs> than, I, more than I put out at the moment. Um, but no, so um, definitely just get out there look at it. I, I, I'm maybe unique or different. If I ever get... Um, lethargic or in a rut or my escape is football <laughs> so if I ever need to pick myself up I'll just go and dive into football again and one of the things I like to do is I kind of like to look at, I don't know why I did number six but look at a team, a run of six games for a team so if you've got access to that kind of content brilliant, if you haven't got access to it, it might be YouTube or um, just, just see what's out and online or what you can record on your own television at home but I kind of just go and look at so go and look at Atlanta in Italy and look at their last six games and well, what they're doing and what's different uh, look at Liverpool look at Liverpool over six games and just just identify the little tactical tweaks so what, actually they've come in this game and they've tried to do something different why try and get in a coach's head why has he done that why has he changed at half time why has he made that substitute there and um, I always I go and watch lots of games live now as well uh, or did and um, and at half time, you go to get a coffee or whatever. And I'd always ask myself the question, and if you're delivering the half-time team talk, what would you say at this moment? So that keeps me sharp and keeps me fresh as well and thinking all the time. So yeah, just just watch and study and listen and learn. There's there's a lot of content about it at the moment. Just just dive into
0: it. I guess it's like you just said there, it's having a few. You touched on it earlier when you said around um, being on the touchline, having a few key yeah. questions to go back to to ask yourself so you're not purely watching as a fan aren't you you've got a specific focus or, or topic to, yeah. to to consider okay last little bit then quick fire questions um, I Good did yourself. send these through so uh, you might have prepared um, in your uh,
1: opinion 50 prepared <laughs>
0: <laughs> who in your opinion has been the best Premier League player of all time
1: um, I found this one one of the hardest ones um, I'm going to go English and I'm going to go somebody that probably didn't win as much as he should have. Um, I'm going to go for Steven Gerrard. Uh, so loved him as a player. Um, he epitomized the English spirit, but whilst having the class and the culture, I think to play anywhere around the world, I thought he was, he was top, top, top. Um, like I said, should have won more than he did. And I was really fortunate enough to do my pro license with him recently. And he's just as good a person as he is a player. So, um, yeah shout out to him really
0: yeah yeah that's not not a bad shout to be fair what about then manager or coach of all time
1: um yeah i'm a bit of a bit of a guardiola fan bit of a guardiola fan by, i think so um i've enjoyed watching his teams as a young as a young uh football fan my dad took me to barcelona to new camp and i remember buying a Barcelona shirt was like eight sizes too big for me. Um, <laughs> but I always had a thing for Barcelona. I all, they were always like my my foreign team. And I went to watch them um, uh, lose at home 1 0 to, no, sorry, Drew 1 1 with Rayo Vallecano and uh, the White Hank is out and everything. So it wasn't always the good years. Um, but then obviously when Guardiola went in there, like I was just so immersed in that. So sort of, uh, his team of 2010 was like, Revolutionary, and then watching him at Bayern, and watch how he adapted at Bayern, and how scared he was of counterattacks, and how he changed his tactics to deal with that. And then seeing him come to the Premier League, I think it's been fascinating uh, to see how he's taken a bit more time to implement it. But I think his team of last year was probably one of the best teams that I've seen in the Premier League. So yeah, I'll go. I'll go for. Pep. Yeah, yeah.
0: The um the books are a really good insight, aren't they? I think they're called yeah, Pep, yeah. Pep Confidential. Yeah. They're they're really good insight into. The Bayern one, especially. Um, so then you, you touched on their best Premier League team. You mentioned one of his teams. Is that who you're going to go with for that
1: question? No, no I'm going to mix it up here. I'm going to mix it up. Um, so Alex Ferguson just missed out on my best manager, coach of all time. So I'm going to go for his Man United team as best Premier League team. I just thought that they, the way they reinvented themselves over a longer period of time and to have that mentality of winning after winning, recently listened to um, Rio Ferdinand's podcast where he spoke about just the relentless pursuit of of performance and excellence and winning I just thought they were yeah, yeah. is there a specific one in that,
0: that comes to mind one of the seasons or yeah I
1: mean nine, the, 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 99 obviously the 99 treble year Bex and Giggs and Scholes and Keane and York and Cole and Solskjaer coming off the bench I was really lucky that I went to got to go and uh, meet Ali when he was out of Moldo when he was managing over there and they sat down with him in a coffee shop and we went through every goal that he scored for Man United and just, just spoke through like his goals what he was thinking and he could recall every clip and every moment oh, wow. he was fantastic like so even having him coming off the bench and yeah that, that team was yeah very good great stuff okay last one then what would be your
0: all-time England eleven?
1: now this this has caused me a sleepless night this is
0: <laughs> sorry mate
1: <laughs> and I'm gonna I'm gonna be tactical with it as well so to stand the theme so uh, let me let me go through it as quick as I can so I've gone for David Seaman in goal um, I, these are kind of a, of my era so uh, the 80 um, sorry the 1990 World Cup I was 7 so there's a little bit that was kind of like the first little influence 96 was massive for me as a young football fan. Uh, so I've got Seaman in goal. I've gone f- three-five-two, 5 2 So I've got a back three. of uh, Ferdinand, Adams and Terry. So um, three, I think, good uh, leaders, uh, great defenders. I don't think there'd be many centre-forwards i like playing against up against them three. I've oh. in particular gone... Rio Ferdinand on the right side of the back three, and that's going to be important in a minute when I tell you my right back <laughs> controversial. So Rio's in that right channel to use his athleticism to cover. My um, three in midfield, I've gone Gerrard, Scholes and Gascoigne um, with the concept of them playing in it, playing as a triangle, and giving them the freedom of just make sure you're a triangle. So if if Gerrard's one moment and hold him in field player but if he bombs on somebody else drops in him and fills him for him and I just sent them three in there um, skulls his technical ability um, and brain Gerard, as we spoke about Gascoigne probably one of the best English players I think I've ever seen and, and, and produced so my wing backs left wing back pretty pretty safe and straightforward with Ashley Cole Um thought he was a top top defender uh, a real good performer. I always remember his battles against Cristiano Ronaldo. Never, ever, ever saw Cristiano get on top of him. But he was he was outstanding. Right wing back, High controversial. Uh, I've gone for Beckham. Yeah, never, ever saw him play that role. But I just like like the idea of him <laughs> With the balls in. Um, and I had to get him in the team. Uh, my front two suddenly got dropped this morning. So I went... <laughs> Shearer and Kane Uh, and then I've had a moment of going what about Rooney you've got to get Rooney in there so Shearer's dropped out I've gone for Rooney and Kane Um, I liked Shearer as a youngster growing up his power his goals Um, I think Rooney surpassed that with becoming England's all-time top goal scorer and I think Harry Kane will push Rooney's records all the way as well I think he's he's excellent as well so that's what Uh, I've gone for uh, that's some team there. I'm, I'm not sure that
0: many could could argue against that. That's uh, yeah, excellent. Now listen, Aaron, will, we'll wrap it up there. I um, I appreciate that I've talked for a long time, but it's been a it's been an excellent. Hour, so I, I really appreciate it, and uh, and thanks for for giving up your time. As uh, where where can I know you said you don't post as much on Twitter as you maybe should, but where can people can people find you on there?
1: Are you are you on the social uh, medias? And yeah, so I'm on Twitter as Coach Dank so that's probably the best best platform to give me a follow and send me any messages and that. And um, I, I like to try and get back to as many people as possible and communicate with as many coaches as I can. So yeah, feel free to to find me out there. Yeah brilliant no thank you so much for your time
0: mate and i hope uh hope everything goes well when we when we do finally get back on the grass um and yeah brilliant thanks a lot for your
1: for your thank you thanks yes
0: okay that's that then um i hope you enjoyed it i know i thoroughly enjoyed the conversation pages and pages of notes for me here so um hopefully you guys have the same um as this Coffee Club podcast wouldn't be possible without our sponsors Pitch so please go and look at their website pitchrmt.com set up a profile if you're a coach a scout or a player it is free um Hope everyone's staying safe with the current climate. I know it's a little bit strange. Probably got a bit more time on your hands. So feel free to go back, listen to previous episodes. This was our ninth one now. Um, So there's loads on there talking all things coaching, psychology, coach development. Go and have a listen. Spread the word. Make sure you subscribe. Share the podcast. I really do appreciate it. But most importantly, hope everyone's staying safe out there and keeping keeping positive in these uh, in these difficult times. So again, thank you for listening. We'll have another episode for you in the near future. In the meantime, take care, see you all soon.